1 John uh, chapter 1, we, uh, usually it's a practice of our church uh, to just go right through books of the Bible. I do that uh, almost every Sunday of the year, but uh, every year during August, I take uh, just one little month in the summer to do a topical series uh, where we look at a Christian worldview of some topic. We've looked at parenting uh, two years ago. We looked at marriage last year. This year, we're looking at uh, what I've called soul care, of um, what are... Uh, uh, how do we care for one another's souls? You know, basically what counselors do for each other. Can we do that for each other? And what tools does the Bible give us to understand how to understand each, our own souls and each other's souls? And um, so uh, uh, the way that we've been looking at it is that we've taken the four parts of the biblical story. The Bible tells a story in four parts. That God creation is the first part. That God created a good world. The fall that humanity is uh, rebelled against God, and that's why there's all the evil and brokenness and uh, sadness and suffering in the world is because of the fall. And yet God has sent a redeemer in Jesus to rescue a people to himself. And, and the last part, the fourth part of the story is restoration, that God will, uh, in the end, make all things new again. And so we've been looking at each of those four parts of the story. We're in the third part, redemption. And uh, the passage we're going to be looking at is 1 John chapter 1, starting in uh, verse... Five, and this is the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that you are light. And yet, uh, that is uh, both uh, attractive to us and yet frightening to us. That you are truth, you are purity, you are holiness and goodness, and that you expose the reality of who we are. We pray that your word would now draw us out, draw us to confession, draw us to you, draw us to the good news of the gospel. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and uh, take uh, my words, the words of a, a sinner, and take your perfect holy word and communicate it to the hearts of your people now. Uh, you know what is happening in, in each of the lives that is present here. And so I pray that you would uh, make your word uh, real to them, convict them, lead them to Jesus, lead us to Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, uh, we're in this uh, fourth uh, week of this sermon series on uh, how to care for each other's uh, souls. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the doctrine of creation, and we saw that you know, God made a good world. And what that means for us is that what it means to be human is that it means you're formed by God, it means you're blessed by God, you're approved by God, you're, you're connected to other people by God, you're sent by God, which basically means that what it means to be human is to live under the fatherly care of God. 
And then last week we looked at the fall and what that means for our soul. So being human means that I, I live in a trust and rest in God's fatherly care. We found out that the fall, what sin has done to us, what brokenness means, is that I've developed a suspicion about God's goodness. I don't trust him. I, I've, instead of him being the judge, I've become the judge, and I look at him and I say, I don't think you're good. I'm, I'm going to take control of my own life, and I'm going to trust in other things besides God and instead of his fatherly care. So we've looked at, at what it, it, being human means trusting God. Being broken means that I don't trust in, in God any longer. I don't trust in my father any longer. So this week, what does it mean then? How does God deal with our brokenness? How does God deal with it? What does he do? And I... Uh, I think one of the things we see in the scriptures is many ways that we could, words that we could use to answer that, but the word that I've given this week is that he cleanses us of our brokenness. He washes us. And uh, one of the great, if you look in the Old Testament, actually, uh, one of the big events of the Old Testament, if you haven't read through the Old Testament, one of the things that happens, you know, God chooses his people, Israel, there's people, and one of the things that happens is they divide into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They're called uh, uh, Israel and Judah. And, um, and these, you know, the whole story is about how God's people that he chooses just rejects him and, and turns away from him. They're faithless and they, and they fall away from him. They go worship idols and they, you know, are breaking the Ten Commandments all over the place. And, uh, and so finally what happens is, is God sends uh, these enemies and they're taken into exile. And uh, in, in 586 B.C., uh, the Babylonians come and they destroy uh, the southern kingdom's temple and they take them, uh, take them away out of their land. And uh, because of their sin... And then God sends them a prophet, though. Even while they're in exile, he sends them a prophet. That's Ezekiel, if you know the, the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel gives them this promise where he's going to redeem them. And God's going to heal their brokenness. And this is how Ezekiel describes it. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This, this famous uh, um, uh, promise of the Old Testament that the way that God's going to deal with our brokenness is he's going to wash us. He's going to cleanse us. I think for anyone, if you are here last week and we talked uh, about brokenness last week, that we're both this combination of people who hurt other people. We disobey God. We, because we don't trust God, we take control and we hurt other people, but we're also people who have been wounded by other people. And that creates in us a sense of shame. And anyone who knows the experience of shame, this image of being washed, being washed clean, with clean water being poured and our souls being washed is very powerful. And what we have in 1 John chapter 1 is we have a description of how God washes our souls and cleanses us, which I think is very valuable as we learn to you know, talk, you know, share our lives with each other and counsel each other and to understand how does that washing, how does that renewal take place. We have instructions here in this, uh, this little letter that John wrote to the, the, the church in Ephesus. And so we're going to explore that together and I'm going to draw out three things that we see in this passage. And the three things are this. That first of all, Cleansing happens through confession. Cleansing happens, the renewal that happens to us happens when uh, we, we confess to one another, to God and to one another. Second, so cleansing happens through confession. Second, cleansing happens through community. It's related to the first. But ultimately, third, cleansing happens through Christ. Cleansing happens through confession, community, and Christ. I 
three C's. I didn't even try that. It just happened. So it has to be true that there's three C's. So, uh, so three things, and the first is this. The first thing we see in this passage is that our renewal, the, the, the healing of our, of our broken lives, our broken souls, happens through a cleansing. And this cleansing happens through confession. Now, you, you notice that this passage begins, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of uh, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so what John says here is that the way that we're washed and we're cleansed is by walking in the light. Now, um, I know, you know, when I first became a Christian, I became a Christian in the 90s, and uh, there was this kind of Christian pop song that came out that was like, I want to be in the light, because you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. If you know that song, it's from the 90s. I, I don't know. <laughs> but any time I read this verse, it was like the song started going in my head, and it was like to dwell in the light, to walk in the light, means you shine like the stars in the heaven, you know? And I was like, uh, and, and there's an element that that's true in the Bible. You know, Jesus says that we're the light of the world, and let your light shine before others, that that, other, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so uh, that's partly true, but actually this idea that I'm just going to be this glowing, shining, um, excited Christian is actually not what John's talking about when he talks about walking in the light. Um, because um, what John is talking about here is actually something uh, that's far more intimidating. Because even though uh, it's a beautiful light, it's a light that exposes. That's what the light does, is it shows who we really are. And if, we're, if our life is hidden, you know, last week we talked about one of the things that brokenness does to us is it throws us into hiding. We hide. We want to protect ourselves. We don't want anyone to behold us. And what the light does is it exposes who our life is. And, and that's intimidating to us. You know, actually, I remember I was, a, uh, I was probably a middle schooler, and... Children, plug your ears for this. The, um, you know, I, I, I snuck out of my house when I was, uh, and I was going to go put toilet paper all over some neighbor's house. I didn't even know this neighbor. I mean, this is how depraved I was uh, as a middle schooler. I, I'm just, I'm just going to go out, and um, and I was creeping out of my house, and uh, and I didn't want to be on the street, so I, I was going to cut through this neighbor's yard, and I'm, and my heart is pounding. I'm so nervous. This is worth, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I out here? And I'm walking into there, and they have one of those motion sensors, and I'm in the middle of their driveway, and all of a sudden, the light pops on. It was this piercing white light, and I literally just ran home and, like, got in my bed. And I was picturing that the house owner was waiting there all night, just waiting for me to walk through his driveway so he could turn on the light and catch me. And, uh, and you know, in some ways, that's what walking in the light I, it feels like to any of us, now, to many of us. And now, of course, when the Bible says that God is light, he's not this piercing uh, motion detector that's trying to catch us. I mean, God, God's light, it's, it's kind of like the sun when you've been living in uh, Bellingham all winter, and, uh, and you, it's about March, and you're like, what, the sun? I, is, what color is it, and what does it do again? And then all of a sudden, the 4th of July comes, and it's sunny, and it's warm, and it's, you know, that's actually what the light is. But one of the things that's frightening, it's a warm light. The, Father, the Father's light is an inviting light. But in order for us to be cleansed, we must, have a conf- we must bring our sin, bring the reality of our brokenness into the light that it might be washed. And you see this here in verse 9. 
if we confess our sins, see what he's talking about? He's talking about confession. That's what walking in the light is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is why um, I, this topic of soul care, that we care for each other's souls, that we're open with one another, that we share with one another what's really happening in our lives is so important, is because John says the way that we actually live a godly life, the way that we're actually, our life is transformed is through confession. It's through having those kinds of conversations. So we need to learn how to do that. And um, that's how God changes us. So now let me ask this question. What is confession? What is confession? Now, a couple things. First of all, uh, confession is, a, is simply acknowledging that I'm a sinner. Con- acknowledging that I'm a sinner. And you see this in verse 8 here. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, tr- the truth is not. He says that everyone has sin in us, and, and what that means is that what Christians fundamentally believe is that the bro- you know we all think there's something wrong with the world. You know, there's suffering, there's fighting going on, and people are cruel to each other. And um, but the most natural thing for us to say, yeah, the world is evil, but it's something that's out there. It's out there happening maybe in another country or maybe in another family but, or maybe, maybe someone else in my family, but it's not happening in here. And the, the fundamental Christian belief, first of all, is to say that evil, the line between good and evil is not between us and them. I'm on the good side, they're on the bad side. The line between good and evil is right down our hearts. It's cut right down our hearts. And that evil lives inside each one of us. And, um, and what that means, by the way, if you're here and uh, you say you're not a Christian, uh, you haven't put your faith in Christ. This is a beginning step. The beginning step is to, is to realize that actually, I'm lost without God. I don't know how to live my life. I don't know how to love God. I don't know how to love other people. My heart does things that I, don't, I can't control. Um, I need a savior. And actually, if you read, if you look at Jesus' teaching when he comes, that's how he talks. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And so if you're going to know Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be lost first, right? And this is, you know, he also says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the beginning of the Christian life is, uh, first of all, to acknowledge in a general sense, there's something profoundly wrong with me, and I need God to wash me. I need him to cleanse me. Okay? So confession is first having that general awareness, and as a community for us to have that general awareness... Um, but also soul care, you know, to really transform, it's not enough to have a general sense that I'm, I'm a sinner, you know. Uh, most of us, if you're a Christian, you, you believe that. Yeah, I'm a sinner. But the second thing is not just to acknowledge that I'm a sinner, but to also to acknowledge my specific sins. The way that cleansing happens is through a confession where I acknowledge my specific sins. Look at verse 8. If we say we have, okay, so if we say we have no sin, singular, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. So if I say I'm not a sinner, evil is something else out in the world, it's not in me. We deceive ourselves. But then he goes on, but he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So uh, confession comes not just from a general sense that I'm a sinner, but a, you know, kind of this, hey, nobody's perfect, everybody makes mistakes kind of thing, but it comes from actually naming specifically the sins that I commit. And um, in order for this to happen, 
in a church like this, um, a number of things need to be present. First of all, we as a community need to not be afraid of specifics. We need to not be afraid of specifics. Um, you know, so that, for example, someone comes to me and they're opening up their, about their life that they're struggling with lust. Now, gently, as someone's sharing that with me, and if you have a trusted relationship where someone's wanting to open their life, one of the things that you want to get to is you want to actually name, well, what did that look like exactly? What did you do? And any time that you're doing that and you're naming specifically exactly what happened, you're bringing specific sins into the light. And now that's a lot harder to do. It's a lot easier to talk generally about I struggle with lust. Or, you know, if someone says I'm, I'm struggling with anger, to gently say, okay, angry, what did that mean? What did that, that look like in your family? What, you know, did they hear you in the next room when you were yelling? Or did they hear you down the street when you were yelling? How long did this go on? Was this one sentence that just blurted out, or, or was this a half-hour tirade? What, what were the exact words that you said to hurt that person? Tell me those words. And of course, that's very challenging for us to actually say those things that we're ashamed of, but what, what John is saying is when we actually bring those into the light, they're healed, they're washed by Jesus. And so we need to not be afraid of the specifics. We can't just stay with the generalities because, um, you know, one reason is because we really need to know what's going on. You know, actually I had a pastor uh, friend who did a, a survey with uh, going, going through a lot of the men in their church to check in on their, their spiritual life, and they were kind of going to all the families. And they found this pattern with, with men that were actually struggling pretty seriously with sexual addiction, pornography and things. And they say, oh, so tell me, you know, oh, you're struggling with a sexual addiction or pornography. Like, you know, how often does that happen? Oh, you know, I don't know, a few times a year probably. Like, okay, so, like this month? Did it happen this month? Yeah, yeah, it happened this month. Well, so, did it happen more than once this month? Yeah, probably three times, three or four times this month. So, did it happen this week? Yeah, it's happened this week, a couple times this week. I mean, literally conversations have moved from a few times a year to a few times a week. Because we have to draw out, and we have to not be afraid of what are the specifics that are happening. And of course, that has to be done gently. We're not trying to pull out people's sins and get the juice on them. It's because we care about them. It's because we know when they're brought into the light, that's how God washes them and cleans them and transforms people. This is the means that God has given us to godliness. This is an amazing thing about the Bible. The way that we become uh, godly is by admitting that we're sinners. It's, it's not what you would have expected, okay? But, so on the one hand, you know, we have to, uh, to, to not be afraid of specifics, but also we must not be afraid of sinners. And uh, there's a quote for you on page three of your bulletin. Daniel read a little portion of it. I want to read it to you again. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a Lutheran pastor uh, in, in Germany uh, during the reign of the Nazis. He was actually uh, uh, martyred under the, um, under, the hand of the, uh, under the hand of the Nazis, and he wrote a little book called Life Together. It's a wonderful little devotional read. If you haven't read it, um, I, I highly recommend it. And he has a, a chapter on confession, and this is what he says. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout as sinners. Do we have fellowship only as devout people or do we have fellowship as sinners? 
Naming the specifics is how we have a, a fellowship of, of, as sinners. The pious fellowship allows no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. <laughs> so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. And so we have to not be afraid of that. Now, of course, what... Uh, Bonhoeffer's touching on here is the second thing uh, that we learn about cleansing. So the first is that cleansing happens through confession. Walking in the light, exposing sin, exposing specific sins. But second, cleansing happens through community. That's what he's saying. It is in community. And uh, look again at this, this passage. Very interesting. Verse 6. Okay, he says, if we, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, that is, while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's an interesting thing there. He says, listen, if we, if we uh, walk in darkness and we say we have fellowship with God, then uh, the truth is not in us. But then he goes on and he says, but uh, if, we, uh, if we walk in the light, what are you expecting him to say? If we expose our lives, what do you, what's he going to say? Well, you expect him to say, well, then you'll have fellowship with God. But he says, if you walk in the light, if we live a life of confession, we'll actually have fellowship with each other, he says. That we'll have fellowship with each other. And, um, and I think that many of us know that, right? I mean, how many of us have come to, even maybe to this church there's people that you saw every week and you saw, you know, you saw them, maybe they were worshiping, they were singing, or, or maybe they have a family, you say, oh, they seem like nice people, but, you know, they're kind of two-dimensional, right? They're just, they're nice people. You're like, yeah, they're fine. And then you, maybe you're in a home group, maybe you're having coffee together, and you find out some real things about their story, maybe things from their past, or maybe they're sharing you, struggles with you that are, that are happening in their life. And you walk away from that coffee and you say, I love that guy. I mean, I saw him before and he was, I saw him at church and he was fine. But then I find out who he really was. We'd, I walked into the light with him and now I have fellowship. I love him. They're real. There's, there's three-dimensional. There's more to them. And that's exactly what he's saying is that we have that, that, that shared confession life and we will have true fellowship, the fellowship that we all long for. And, uh, you know, last week, um, I we were talking about how brokenness causes us to go into hiding. You know, we saw that with, with Adam and Eve, that they sinned against God and they were hiding in the trees of the garden. And actually, uh, my old pastor, Bert Hitchcock, was here, and uh, I was talking to him after, and he's, uh, you know, he's probably 65, and he's been a mentor for me for much of my Christian life. And I was talking to him after, and he said, yeah, you know, great sermon, Nate. You know, he's encouraging the, the young guy. And, uh, and, and he said, but, you know, that thing about going into hiding, to come out of hiding man, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. And it was an amazing statement. Here's a guy who's 65, loves the Lord, godly. I mean, someone that I, I look up to. And yet for him, it's frightening to walk into the light with other people. And I think very often, uh, confessing our sins is something that we, it's a lot easier for us to do with God than with other people. Right? Now, why is that? I, mean, I, I think that, that genuinely there is, on the one hand, that we know that God is kind 
If you're a Christian, you know that there is forgiveness with the Father like no one else. You go to Jesus, and he loves sinners. But I think there's also an element sometimes that we go to confess our sins uh, to God because we're actually just going to confess them to ourselves. You know, I've shared with you that when I was in high school, I got sent away to a a boys' boarding school. I was in a lot of trouble, and I got sent away. I spent a year and a half in this boarding school away from my family. And uh, at one point in this... uh, in, in my program there, I was on probation, and um, I had left out, while I was on probation, my, uh, you know, you have this body powder stuff, and I left it on a ledge, you're supposed to put all your stuff away, there's a lot of real, you know, strict rules, and so since I was on probation, and I did this, it was maybe going to add three or four months onto how long I was going to have to stay in the school, it was a long time, when you're 16, and, and so I came up with this lie that, no, I, someone else took that out and left it there, and I said, all right, all right, we'll let it go. And I'd become a Christian at that point. I was just torn up with, I just lied. This guy's a friend of mine, and he asked me to my face, did you leave that out? And I told him no. And that night, I was in bed, and I was praying for like 30 minutes. Lord, I confess that I lied. Lord, I confess that I lied. Lord, I confess that. And I was trying to get him to forgive me. But who was I really talking to? I was talking to me, and I was trying to just soothe my conscience. But the reality is, is the Lord was saying, you, know, you want my forgiveness? That's your Christian brother. Go and tell him your sin. And I wasn't really talking to God. And uh, I was talking to myself. And so I actually, I went to my brother. I confessed to him. I was sobbing and, you know, brought up all kinds of other things. And he, he you know, prayed for me. And, uh, and, uh, and it was a great moment of bringing things into the light. But one of the things is that, um, that this community, fellow Christians... How am I going to know the cleansing, washing forgiveness of the Lord? It is when I take my real sin and I put it before the eyes of another Christian. You are the body of Christ. You are Christ to me. And they say, I love you. And it's forgiven. And here's the promises. That's what we have here. That's what, so, what we're doing with soul care. Is that cleansing happens in community. Now, if we're going to be able to do that as a church... That means that we're going to have to be able to listen well. We're going to have to be a community of, of skilled listeners. And I want to just take a minute. I'm going to give you four quotes from four different people that have been kind of teachers to me about being a listener, a good listener as you care for people. And um, I think each of them is helpful. The first is uh, actually Randy Williams. He's, uh, he's in our church, probably in here somewhere. Randy is a, is a marriage and family therapist here in town, and I was talking to him a little bit before I... Uh, when started this, this series. And one of the things that he said that you want to communicate when you're listening to someone as they open up about their lives is you want to communicate, I want to be with you in this process even if I don't have the answers in my back pocket. When someone shares with us maybe sins that they're stuck in, maybe things that have happened in their past that are very painful, um, anything that, that, most, that, that might uh, bring, bring out shame, and they're trusting you with something. What he says is, I want, we want to communicate, I want to be with you in the process, even if I don't have answers in my back pocket. And what he's saying is that on the one hand, we're communicating a sense of empathy when someone shares with us. You know, I want to be with you. I don't want to run away with this. I want to share the, I want to share the burden of whatever you're in with you. And yet also a sense of humility. I might not have all the answers. 
And it's amazing, you know, he's a counselor. <laughs> he does this for a living, and he doesn't have all the answers, and he has to walk into that with people. That's true for me as a pastor. That's true for all of us, is that I'm willing to walk with you in the process, even if I don't have all the answers. That's part of being a good listener. And this is related to the, the, uh, the second teacher. Actually, these should probably be switched. It's from Proverbs, the scriptures. <laughs> so Proverbs should, probably should have come first. Proverbs 18.13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Part of being a good listener is that we don't just start speaking the first ideas. You know, someone's sharing with us. We have all kinds of ideas. Oh, I know what's the problem. You've got to fix that. You got, I, we could take care of this. I could. No. <laughs> Stop. Listen. Sit with them. Walk with them in the process. And just assume that whatever they're going through is far more complex than you're giving them credit for. And so you need to hear quite a lot. You need to ask questions. He who gives an answer before he hears the whole thing, it is his folly and shame. You will say something foolish if you don't listen first. Okay? The third thing comes from Bonhoeffer, uh, again, from that same book, um, Life Together. He has a, a, a section called The Ministry of Listening, and this is what he says. One cannot listen long and patiently. Uh, oh, one who, oh, sorry. One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and never really speaking to others, albeit he be not conscious of it. If, you, if we don't listen long, we will always miss the point when we speak to people. We need to listen long. Anyone th who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and for his own follies. Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. It's a great statement that God is the great listener. You know, God's listening to billions of people every day pour out their souls to them. And, you know, this is a great answer. You know, some of you, if you ever wrestle with a question, you know, I pray to God, but I don't hear anything. He doesn't say anything back. Maybe he's just a good listener. <laughs> That's what good listeners do. They don't talk immediately. They, they, they take what you're saying and they hold it. And they feel it with you. And that's what God does with our prayers. He takes them and he holds them. Last quote from Dan, Dan Allender. It is hard to state the next point loudly enough. People in pain want to talk. People in pain want to talk. They are very forgiving of our errors as long as we are neither pushy nor arrogant. We can bumble and learn the reward is enormous. And uh, what this means here is actually, this means that our listening to each other and inviting people to step into the light is not just something we do in this community, but if people who are in pain want to talk, that's true in your work, that's true in your families, extended family, in your neighborhood. People are looking for someone who uh, won't be pushy, won't be arrogant, who will show empathy and walk with them and will hear them. And when we hear them, we have a profound opportunity to speak the words of God really to people's hearts in a profound way. And so that's the other aspect of this, is that it is in a listening community that God cleanses and washes us, and that we need to be good listeners. But we also have a message for each other. So it's not just that we're listeners. We listen first, but we also have a message. And this is the, the third point that I want to make about cleansing, is that cleansing happens through Christ. 
cleansing happens through Christ. And you see that this passage begins, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. And it's this message of cleansing, right? Verse 7, he talks about the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he says in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us, uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's this, this image of that God is washing us and that we have the message that brings healing and washing to all the brokenness in the world. And... Um, and I think this is an important thing to remember. I mean, just as a skill, as, as we counsel each other and care for one another, one of the things that we can think is that if I just throw a Bible verse at someone when they're struggling, you, know, you know, sharing with me a struggle or something that they've been through, that I'm going to be trite by just throwing... And that, that might be true. There's a way to take um, biblical truth and apply it to people's lives in a way that is trite. But once we have listened and we've shared someone's burden with them, at the end of the day, the biblical, biblical truth, our message is the answer. It is the answer. It's the only hope that there is, is, is in Christ. And what this message, the Christian message, is, is, is essentially this. Let me summarize it for you. Is that on the one hand that Jesus died the death that we should have died, but also that he has lived the life that we should have lived. He's died the death that we should have died and lived the life that we should have lived. So on the one hand, uh, let me try to, let me summarize this briefly. Jesus died the death we should have died. What does that mean? Well, you know, God has a law for how we should all live. He intends us to love him and to love one another. And how a law works is that a law demands to be satisfied, right? So, you know, if you go, uh, you know, the speed limit is a law that you're supposed to drive 25 miles an hour on Birchwood Avenue. And uh, the way to satisfy the law is two ways. You can either go the speed limit. Or, if you break the speed limit and get a ticket, you can pay the ticket. You can pay the debt. And, uh, and, and what uh, the gospel says is that our brokenness is that we have, by nature, we are, um, have committed treason against the creator of the universe. And that the debt for that is death. And so Jesus has paid the death. He, he has taken the death that we should have died and died it for us. So that we, the debt is free. It, it, um, he's paid for us. And so we're forgiven. We're washed. We don't have this burden of guilt that we're carrying around anymore. He's freed us. He's lifted it from us. But the other side is not just that he's died the death that we should have died, but he's also lived the life that we should have lived. And that we see in the Gospels, that, um, and, and uh, you, you can see this in, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 in First John. L listen to this. My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's one of my favorite titles of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is what I'm not. I'm not righteous, and he is. And he stands for me. He's an advocate. He defends me. He speaks for me before God. You know, I, when I was... Uh, a kid, um, and if you were here last week, you're going to think I just got beat up my whole childhood, but uh, I, I, I was coming over from elementary school, I was probably in fifth grade, and um, there was this path that I walked up to go to my house, it was the only way to my house, it was a kind of narrow path, and it was a snowy day, and a bunch of, probably four kids had, were waiting there to ambush me with uh, ice balls, and you know, I came home, and I'd just been like pummeled with ice balls, and I was like, oh, walking in, my brother, who's about five years older than I am, he's, he's a big guy too, um, he saw that they had just pummeled me with these, uh, these ice balls. And, and I'll tell you, me and my brother, we were not close. I mean, we fought, I mean, battles. And, and 
and, and I, I thought he would never do anything for me. I mean, I just, I, I push every possible button. I aggravate him however, any way possible. And yet I came home and I'd been pummeled. And he said, who did this to you? I said, uh, Joe Donald up the street. And he goes up and he knocks on their door. And he says, don't you ever touch my brother again. I was like, you did, you did that for me, my big brother? He's got my back. He's my advocate. My brother is being for me what I can't be for myself. And what the gospel gives us is a big brother, the righteous one, who stands for us, who represents us, who defends us, who walks with us. And he is everything that we've longed to be and that we should be. He is all those things. He loves God. He trusts God. He follows God. And so um, it is only when we know as a community this message of forgiveness and grace that we have a Savior, we have a Redeemer, who has washed us with his blood, that we can become a community of true, deep, specific confession and cleansing. And so uh, that is my hope for us as we go through this series. We learn these skills. We learn to listen to one another, that the, the gospel would indeed bear fruit in this community. Let's pray together. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, the righteous, we look at your life and we see a life uh, that you have lived the life that we should have lived. You are what we should be. And we thank you that you're indeed a friend to sinners and we pray that we could indeed be a community of sinners. That we could confess to one another and walk into the light and that you would indeed make your promises true that you would wash us, you would cleanse us, you would heal us. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Would we honor you in this community? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.